We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Hey, welcome back to the Babylon Singularity Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Herter. Today we're going to get into Revelation chapter 13. This is a daunting chapter on a number of levels. This is a chapter that I would not have touched with a 10-foot pole 10 years ago. If you could get in a time machine and find me 10 years ago and tell me, hey, you know, what do you think about Revelation 13? I would have pretty much shrugged my shoulders and told you I, I have no idea. I don't know what that chapter means. I've heard a lot of people say a lot of different things about the chapter, and I understand what they're trying to say, but it doesn't seem to make much sense. Certainly not to me. It, it, it certainly makes more sense to them than it does to me. So go ahead and just, just yeah, take the middleman out. Go talk to them about what they believe about Revelation chapter 13. Um, just leave me out of it because I am totally unsure. Why was I unsure? Because there's so many c- complex symbols um, interpretations and so many um, varying takes and perspectives that it was just impossible for me to nail down. Um, and if you're wondering, like, what am I talking about? Maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Maybe I should ask you, hey, c- tell me about Revelation 13. What does it mean? Now, you might, you know, <laughs> default to your footnotes in your Bible, which was interesting because I was, I was actually just looking at a footnoted Bible, the, uh, I think it was yesterday, and I'm looking in the footnotes and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I am going to be teaching something that goes directly against the footnotes <laughs> in your Bible, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. Like I'm that guy. I'm the guy who says, yeah, your footnotes in your Bible, they're actually misleading you. Uh, here's why, because the first thing you're probably going to tell me is because uh, Revelation chapter 13, that's about about the Antichrist. And I'd say, yes, absolutely. You'd say, the first beast, that's the Antichrist. I'd be like, hold up, hold up. Tell me what Revelation chapter 13 is about. You know, I've, I've been told for many years, I've been taught probably in many different um, by many different teachers um, from differing perspectives that the first beast, the seven-headed beast of Revelation 13, is the Antichrist. And that's great. I, 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 pre- I appreciate that. I appreciate that that's taught. And I appreciate that you like look in the footnotes of your Bible and it says... You know, the seven-headed beast, that's the Antichrist. Like, uh, like I, I understand that it is fully ingrained in Christian theology. Like, it, it, almost, it almost, like, is part of fundamental, like, orthodox theology to say, like, the seven-headed beast, that's the Antichrist. Like, I could have told you that 10 years ago. But I wouldn't have been able to articulate why the seven-headed beast was the Antichrist. And here's what I mean, because 
you know, the logic goes, well, you know, the, the beast is the Antichrist, right? Okay, so it has seven heads. One of the heads is wounded. Um, so the, the beast is the Antichrist? Well, not the entire beast. The entire beast is not the Antichrist. Okay, so the, the, the beast isn't the Antichrist, or at least it's partly the Antichrist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the wounded head of the beast, the one head of the seven, that's the Antichrist. Okay, so one of the seven heads is the Antichrist. Okay, that, that's cool. I appreciate that. So the other six heads are something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other six heads are like seven other historical leader type guys, maybe empires. We're not, you know, something like that. But we know for sure that the one wounded head, that for sure is the Antichrist, for sure. So we know that the seven-headed beast, okay, so we know that the seven-headed beast is at least one-seventh Antichrist, right? And it's six-sevenths, some other, uh, uh, you know, series of leaders or series of empires or something. So, okay, firmly we can say the seven-headed beast is one-seventh Antichrist. Okay, great. Now, um, now the, the seven heads also have ten horns, right? And what are the ten horns? Oh, the ten horns. Those are ten kings. Okay, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. So the, the seven-headed beast with ten horns is not one-seventh Antichrist. It is now one-seventeenth Antichrist because you got six other heads that are something besides the Antichrist, and now you have 10 kings that you're entering into the equation that are not the Antichrist. Is that correct? Yes. So it wasn't really the right thing to say that the beast is the Antichrist. It's more like the beast is amalgamation. Okay, cool. The beast is an amalgamation of what? It's an amalgamation of... The Antichrist, number one, got it, got that part. Uh, and, and then six other heads that are six other series of kings. Okay, got it. And it's also an amalgamation of 10 kings that reign with the beast. Okay, all right. So it's, so it's at least that. And then, oh yeah, also it is a series of empires. You know, because we got the leopard in there. We've got the bear in there. We've got the... Uh, we got the lion in there. So it's like a succession of empires, succession of kings. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's 10 kings that rule along with it. But most importantly of all, it's the Antichrist. Okay, you've lost me. So this is very confusing. And this, this, is, this, is, this is what I would have told you 10 years ago. Like, this doesn't make sense. So you're telling me the beast is not just one... 17th Antichrist. It is also it, like there's other factors that go into the beast equation. That is really complicated. And then you take that and you take the historical interpretations of different saints and leaders through the ages, and they try, they want to pin the beast on like Catholicism or Islam or 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 this pope or that pope and 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 it gets even more confusing. So like this beast may have happened at some point in the 
in the past, but nobody really knew about it and nobody really noticed except for like you, um, that makes it even more complicated. And then on top of that, you enter into this other guy, the false prophet. Okay. So the, so the beast is an amalgamation, right? An amalgamation of certainly the Antichrist, 10 Kings, series of Kings, empires, whatever else you want to throw in there. And then there's this other guy. Oh yeah, he's the false prophet. Okay, cool, right? And he's important, right? The false prophet is. Oh yeah, he's super important. The false prophet is so important. All right, and what is he? What is the false prophet? Well, he's like the sidekick. He's like he's like the beast sidekick. You know, like Robin and like Batman. He's like he's like Tonto, right? To the Lone Ranger. That, that you know what I, I like Tonto. I you know I kind of like Robin. I don't know. Does anybody really like Robin? It's it's hard to say. Like you know, probably could have gone without Robin. I guess Batman had to have somebody to chill with, right? Like everybody likes having a sidekick. Like okay, does the dem- so the demonic trinity clearly important has this offshoot guy who's a sidekick. Right. Okay. That's confusing. Is there any other prophecies in the entire Bible that point to the false prophet? No, no. He's only found right here in, in the book of Revelation. Okay. All right. So the beast is an amalgamation and, and the false prophet is a sidekick. Yeah, you got it. Uh, good. Okay. And, and so, so you have this scenario where it's very complex and it's very inconsistent, right? And so the hermeneutic or the interpretive way that you, you, you understand scripture is basically like, okay, what are we talking about in this, in a, in a particular verse, right? Like, are, are we talking about the Antichrist? Well, it depends, right? Uh, are, we talking about the, are we talking about the wounded head? Then yes, we're talking about the Antichrist. Are we talking about... The, the seven heads being blasphemous. Well, then we're talking about a series of kings and a series of empires. And are we talking about this, this empire that's on the earth at the end? Then we're talking about an empire. Okay, so, the, so, the, so how, we don't really know when we interpret the amalgamation as an antichrist or a series of kings. Or we don't, we, we just, it's just whenever it fits the best. Okay, consider that hermeneutic being applied anywhere else in the Bible. Just consider that for a second. Like, if, you, if I came to you and was like, hey, guys, I've got this amazing way to interpret the Bible, and this is it. Um, you bring your own idea to Scripture, and then whenever whatever Scripture doesn't really fit with it, you call it an amalgamation and you apply it in whatever way it best fits that scripture, right? You'd probably question me and be like, bro, I'm not, tr- I'm not feeling your hermeneutic here. I'm not feeling the like make up an amalgamation and then apply it to the scripture however best it might fit in that instance because it could be one of, you know, 10 things, Right? The amalgamation can be any, any one of 10 things. It can be the Antichrist, can be a series of empires, can be a series of kings, can be 10 kings that are ruling at the same time, blah, 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 10 different things. That's the amalgamation. Maybe add a few just in case, like it doesn't work. And then read the scripture and go, okay, of those 10 things that my amalgamation has created, which one best fits that scripture? 
right? And 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 there's folks that like they love it. They they're they're super into it. Like, yeah, absolutely. That's this is this is what makes it so exciting. Is just a, applying the amalgamation in, in whatever best way we 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 see fit. To me, that's troubling. To me, that's unacceptable. That's an unacceptable hermeneutic. To me, if I'm bringing an amalgamation that can mean one of 10 things and then applying it to however best it fits a a specific scripture, that is, we have not found the hermeneutic, right? So all of that to say, like, I didn't know what Revelation 13 was. I didn't know what it was about. And I, I would hear people teach about it and they'd have a lot of conviction about it. And I'm like, great, great. That's great. I just, it doesn't make sense. It does not make sense. The beast thing here does not make sense. Uh, about three, four years ago, the beast thing starts making a lot more sense. And so what I want to do today is because I think what happens, and this is, this is what we, we quickly default to, we quickly default to our interpretive lens, right? So we see the we see the story being told, and rather than just listening to the story, we rush. We rush in with our interpretive tools, and we just start we start uh, uh, decrypting the mystery, like oh that the the ten heads are this. The, the, sorry, the seven heads are this, the 10 horns are that, the diadems are this. And, 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 and rather than just sitting and listening to the story and hearing the narrative, we want to rush in and quick make sense out of it so that we can understand the story in light of our interpretive grid rather than just hearing the story and going from there. And so Today, what I want to do in this episode, this is what I'm really hoping to accomplish, is to take all of the interpretive tools that we so quickly rush in and start applying to everything and just set it aside for a second. And let's just hear the story. Let's just hear what's being told so that we can understand the bigger thing that's going on here. Because if we, I believe if we start with the bigger story, we will then be better equipped to apply the interpretive symbols to decrypt what's going on. So that's my hope today. We're going to, we're going to get into, we're going to get into uh, Revelation 13. <sighs> So, Lord, we just ask you to open your word to us. Father, we come to you by your spirit. And in the name of Jesus, God, we ask you to reveal your word. God, we just, we say like, Lord, that your word is above us and too high, too holy. So full of light, God, that we have no chance of understanding it unless you come by your spirit and just tell us very simply and very plainly. Lord, we just, we confess that we will make it too complicated. We will bring too many complexities to your word and we will miss what you're saying. So God, we just, we lay down all of our understanding. We lay down all of the ways that 
we have uh, leaned onto our own understanding and we put all of our, all of our trust in you. We trust fully in you, Jesus. We ask you, Father, by your spirit, open your word to us. Tell us your story. We want to hear it. We're asking you to do it by your spirit in the name of Jesus. So go ahead, open up your Bible. Go ahead and let's uh, start off uh, Revelation 12 just as a little recap from the last couple of episodes because Revelation 13 is deeply tied to Revelation 12. They're actually two parts of the same story. It would be a mistake to read Revelation 13 apart from Revelation 12. Revelation 12 is part one of a two-part story. Revelation 13 is part two. So if we try to break these chapters apart and understand them separately, we're going to miss out from the bigger story that's being told. In Revelation 12, part one of the story, and whose story is being told in this? It's the dragon. It's the story of the dragon. Part one of the dragon story revealed in Revelation 12 is the story of the dragon's invisible campaign. I call it invisible. You call it spiritual. You call it heavenly. You could call it, you know, the unseen in the unseen realm. Revelation 12 is John looking up into the sky and seeing a woman about to give birth and seeing a dragon that wants to devour the child. He's seeing the vision in heaven. He's looking up. His eyes are up looking into the night sky, and he is having a vision. I guess I don't know if it's night or not. I'm assuming it's night. <laughs> maybe it's day or maybe it's twilight. I, I don't know. Sorry. Uh, I shouldn't say that. I guess I don't know if it's a night sky. He's looking up into the sky, whether it's day or night or twilight. I, you know, I'm not sure. Um, but in the sky, he sees a vision, like it's, it's God's movie. God is telling the story of the dragon. And Revelation 12 tells the story of the dragon's invisible campaign, his campaign that's happening behind the scenes. From our earthly perspective, we can't see the dragon's campaign. We can't see it. It is seeable from heaven, and that is why John is looking up into the heavens, into the sky, and is being revealed the dragon's heavenly, invisible, unseen, spiritual, behind-the-veil-of-the-scene campaign. And what does John see? Like I said, John sees the dragon desiring to devour the male child about to be born. He sees the male child ascend to the throne of God, escaping the dragon. He sees a heavenly war where the dragon is expelled from heaven and driven to the earthly realm. But it's still not, even though he is operating in the earthly realm, he is still operating in the unseen. 
John is still seeing the vision in heaven. He's looking up. He's seeing the sky. It's still the dragon, but it's, it's a depiction of the dragon operating behind the scenes in the earth. And what is he doing? What is the dragon doing behind, behind the scenes in the earth? He is turning his devouring menace, right? This is Apollyon. This is the destroyer. He wanted to destroy the male child. He failed. Now he's turning his destructive, devouring power towards the woman. And what does he do? He first pursues the woman. The woman escapes and is given refuge in the wilderness. He then comes again at the woman with a flood, trying to destroy the woman, and the earth comes to the woman's aid and swallows the flood. John then sees the dragon stomping off in rage because he was unable to destroy the woman. And what is he stomping off in rage about? What is he wanting to do? So he exits, the dragon exits the stage and he's stomping off in fury to go make war against the saints. That's what the dragon's doing. He couldn't destroy the woman And so he's furious about it, and he exits the heavenly stage. He leaves, stomping off. And what is he going to, what is he stomping off to do? To make war against the saints. And that's how Revelation chapter 12 ends. That's part one. That is Satan's invisible campaign. That is what he's doing behind the scenes. Then... Revelation chapter 13 begins, and it is tied directly to Revelation 12. And this is the verse that I actually have been getting wrong now for for a while. And and I looked, and there's um, there's there's actually a little footnote in your Bibles. And what it says in Revelation 12, verse 17, it says, He stood on the sand of the sea. It's actually, there's other manuscripts that say, and I st- was standing on the sand of the sea. I had, so I had been getting it wrong. I think I've been getting it wrong, actually. It's, even though it's not, I don't think it's clear probably one way or the other. But, but from the reading of this text and from understanding what the story is, I believe the better translation is John is saying, I was standing on the sand of the sea. Because the very next verse says... And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, right? So like when I'm reading this story and I'm, I'm visualizing John seeing the dragon failing, he fails to devour the male child. He fails to devour the woman. He exit, the dragon exits and it says, and I was standing on the sand of the sea. Because John now, he's looking up, Revelation 12, he's looking up into the sky. Revelation 13, all of a sudden, he's standing on the, on the seashore, and he sees from the sea a beast of seven heads rising from the sea. Revelation 12, John's looking up into heaven, He's seeing the dragon's invisible 
campaign. Revelation 13, John is looking down on the earth and he sees a beast with seven heads, ten horns rising from the sea. You've got to think, like, if you're John, and just uh, visualize yourself in this situation, you're seeing God's movie play out in the sky, and you're watching the dragon do his thing behind the scenes. All of a sudden, you bring your eyes down to the horizon, and you're like, what is that? (laughs) This thing has, the stage has changed. The stage was in the sky Now the stage is on the earth. He's seeing it like John is standing on the ocean. This isn't a vision. Like he's he's literally standing on the ocean. He's on an island off of Greece called Patmos. He's on this island. He's imprisoned. He's standing on the seashore. He's looking up in heaven. He sees part one, the heavenly campaign. He brings his eyes down to the earth and out of the sea, a seven-headed beast arises. Part two of this story is the dragon's earthly or visible campaign. This is when the dragon enters into our world. That is the most driving, troubling, um, shocking. Um, I don't, I, I don't want to say fearful because this is, this is the enemy of God. There's, the, the, there's no reason to fear, but the reality of the dragon, I mean, even, the, even in the heavenly chorus in, in chapter 12, it says, you know, the heavens are, are partying because the, the dragon's been driven out of the heavens. Verse 12, rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell in him. Why are they rejoicing? Well, because the accuser was thrown down. The accuser was expelled from heaven. Heaven's rejoicing, having a good time. The accuser's out. We, we hated that guy. He's gone. But it says, woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. So even just the, the woe from heaven is the dragon is coming to you. He's coming to you in wrath. And he knows his time is short. So part two of the story of the dragon is his campaign upon the earth. So we can't miss the continuity of this story. Just because John's not watching the dragon in heaven anymore doesn't mean that this is not a continuation of that dragon campaign. It's the same entity at work. This is the advent of the dragon. There will be a moment when the sea, this barrier, there's right now there's a dimensional barrier between, between the physical world, our physical world that we live in. There's a dimensional 
barrier that the dragon cannot cross, a threshold that he wants to cross. He wants to physically enter our world, but there is a sea between the dragon and the earth. But what this prophecy is telling us is that the dragon will find a way to cross the sea. The dragon will find a way through the dimensional barrier. The dragon who is operating in heaven, creating all sorts of chaos and destruction in heaven, waging his war against heaven, is going to bring his campaign. He's going to cross the dimensional barrier. He is going to land in our physical world in real time. And he's going to continue his campaign in the visible, physical world that you and I live in. That's troubling. That's troubling. And that's a truth that the saints, even though, you know, maybe some, some folks say, yeah, I've come to terms with it. And, and maybe like, you know, some folks are like, yeah, I'm, I'm totally on board with this. There is something so deeply shocking about that reality. It's very sobering to consider that the dragon will cross that dimensional barrier eventually and will physically enter our world. This is part two of the story. So let's just continue on with the story. Part two, Revelation 13. If you've got your Bible, go ahead, open it up. Verse one. John, again, I'm just, just backing up a little bit, sees the, dr- the campaign of the dragon, the unseen campaign in heaven. And that campaign is very real, historically very real. I touched on that just a little bit in the last, I, could, man, I touched on it a lot, that the dragon would pursue the woman, the woman would escape into the wilderness. I believe that is the diaspora. There was a very demonic campaign by the Roman emperor Hadrian to destroy the Jewish people, to destroy their heritage, to destroy their nation. That is when the province of Judah or Judea became known as Palestine, named after the enemies of the Jewish people. Hadrian renamed Judea. Palestine. Why? Because he read about the Philistines and he knew the Philistines were the enemies of Israel. The Philistines weren't even around anymore. He did it to destroy the Jewish people. He expelled them. The Jewish people found refuge in the dispersion, in the diaspora for thousands of years. But then the Bible prophesies another attempt of the devil to come against the Jewish people, a flood to wipe them out. History witnessed that about 70 years ago, maybe 80 years ago, with the rise of the Nazi party in Germany, 
a demonic quest to murder every Jewish person on earth. The tragedy, the heartbreak, the destruction. That was Satan behind the scenes attempting to destroy Israel. So these campaigns that John saw 2,000 years ago are playing out in history in very real, very disturbing ways. The Holocaust is, there is, there is maybe no more disturbing reality than the Holocaust. The devastation of the Jewish people, their identity, what was done to them, the injustice, the wickedness, If you're unaware of what happened, please visit the Holocaust Museum. These unseen campaigns of the evil one had devastating effect, very real historical effect. The nations coming to Israel's aid, the founding of the modern state of Israel, that is... Hugely historic. So these campaigns of the dragon, they're not small things. They're not something like, oh yeah, I think it was like in, in the paper like you know 20 years ago and everybody missed it. These are earth-shaking historic realities. And we need to understand that when John is seeing <clears throat> God's story play out in heaven. They have massive historical consequence. So that tells us that part two of the story, when the dragon actually enters into our physical world, will be even greater. That was Hadrian and Hitler were, that was Satan working behind the scenes. Those were atrocious, horrible, historically devastating events. But the dragon is coming to our physical world. He's going to enter into our physical world. And the consequences will be far worse. So this, I guess, is our stepping stone into part two of the story of the dragon. We've told part one, the invisible campaign. Now, Revelation chapter 13, John sets his eyes on the earth. Verse one, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns and seven heads, with 10 diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and his great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast 
And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people, language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is the call for endurance and faith of the saints. I'm going to stop there because I, I think, you know, uh, the false prophet I'll probably leave for another episode. Just want to zero in on this seven-headed beast, the story, right? Now, I know you want me to rush in and begin interpreting all of the symbols that are in this chapter. I understand that. And I understand also, and but I, sometimes I think like I maybe I don't understand enough just how ingrained the thinking on this passage is with the, with the symbolic meaning of everything, right? Like I just, all I did was read the Bible right there. I just read it. I didn't, I didn't interpret anything. I just read it. And while I was reading it, I can only guess that while I'm reading it, in your mind, you're attaching a bunch of symbolic meaning to each of those passages. I'm asking you to hit pause on that. Just you, you can bring it in later, fine. But what I want to do right now is just focus on the story. Let's stick with the story. Let's get the story right. If we can get the story right, we may have some chance of understanding the details. But if we rush to the details and then attach all of these different meanings to the details, we're going to get the story wrong. I don't want to get the story wrong. I want to get the story right. So that's what I'm going to do. I am going to continue to shelve the interpretive grid and just stick to the story here. So bear with me. Let's just hear. We heard about part one of the story, the invisible campaign of the dragon. Now we're turning our eyes like John from the heavens into the earth. And what is part two? What, what's happening here? Well, first thing we should notice is that this beast arising from the sea, it's, it's, it's Satan is has found a way through the dimensional barrier and is entering into the physical realm. The first thing we need to notice is the similarities between the dragon and the beast. Right? Obviously, it's not an exact similarity because one's a dragon and one's a beast, right? And one's a heavenly kind of mythical 
serpent, you know, thing. And the other is some sort of crazy hybrid of biological animals, right? It's, it's when John describes it, he says, the beast that I saw, it's like a leopard, but it has, you know, feet of the bear and a, and a mouth of a lion. Um, so even though there's a difference between the dragon, the, the spiritual heavenly reality of the dragon and the earthly reality of the beast, because that's what you have summed up in, those, in that difference right there. What's the core difference between a dragon and a beast? Well, one's a heavenly reality, one's an earthly reality. Satan cannot cross the physical, the, the barrier, the dimensional barrier in the form that he's in. Like our world does not welcome massive dragons that like, I mean, something crazy would have to happen. I think something like, uh, you know, something out of an Avengers movie, like some sort of dimensional hole in the sky where like, okay, oh, there's the dragon. Like that's not, as far as what I can tell, that's not what happens, right? The dragon is unable to come in the form that he's in to interact in our physical world. So he is coming in the physical form. Now, the physical is the beast. The spiritual is the dragon. The unseen Invisible, spiritual is the dragon. The seen, physical, real-time reality is the beast. But these two realities are the same. They're one and the same. The heavenly dragon. Okay, I call it heavenly like it's a good thing. <laughs> The spiritual unseen reality. The dragon has seven heads. The beast has seven heads. The dragon has ten horns. The beast has ten horns. It says, the dragon gives this beast its power and authority. So there's a the dragon is infusing this earthly reality with his heaven, spiritual, unseen, invisible, spiritual power, his authority. The dragon is spiritually infusing, connected. The seven-headed dragon is fundamentally connected to the seven-headed beast. When the seven-headed dragon appears in the earth, it looks like a seven-headed beast. It is the same entity. It is the same reality. One is spiritual. One is physical. This seven-headed beast is the seven-headed dragon come to earth. This is part two of the story. The dragon can't come into the earth as the dragon. He has to find another way. He finds a way through the dimensional barrier, through the sea, and he arrives in the form of this beast to physically interact in the real world. It is the same entity. We're not talking about two different entities. We're not talking about the dragon. And this, this is like his little pal, the beast, right? 
Now, this is the dragon operating in the real world. The format that he's able to operate in our world is in this beast. It's Satan. That's who it is. It's not his buddy. It's not his sidekick. It's not a different version of himself. This is the dragon operating in the physical world. This is the meat puppet that the dragon is using in our he 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 can't reach in and physically interact with our world so he's reaching into this puppet this seven-headed beast to operate in our physical world i think i've probably said that in 50 different ways in the last five minutes so i'm gonna quit beating a dead horse and just assume that you understand what i'm saying this is the same entity the seven-headed dragon is the seven-headed beast. So the campaign that he's waging in the invisible is now operating in the physical. And what is this seven-headed beast? That is the seven-headed dragon operating in our world. What's, what is he doing? Well, remember, he's picking up where he left off in Revelation 12. Where did we leave off the dragon in Revelation 12? Remember after he couldn't destroy the woman? He got really mad. He's furious. He's stomping his feet. He's exiting the stage. Well, what is he doing? Did he give up? Did he say, all right, that's it. I quit. I'm done. I'm, I'm going home. Is the dragon done? No. He's got this other part that he's interested in that he wants to do because he's so mad. What is that part? He wants to wage war against the saints, the descendants of the woman. He marches off to make war against the saints. It says in verse 17 of chapter 12, the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So in Revelation 12, the dragon exits the stage to do what? To make war on the saints. That's, he leaves, he's mad, he's leaving to do that. Revelation 13, we see the dragon come to earth in the form of a seven-headed beast. What's he doing? He's, he's doing what he left the stage to go do. He's coming to make war, specifically war on the saints. It says he's coming, he makes war. But somehow, no, it's not super clear. All it says in, in Revelation 13, verse 14, it says, that the false prophet told the nations to make an image, to the, the fallen to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword. So, this seven-headed beast, one of the heads of the, of the beast, one of the seven heads, is wounded with a sword. A sword attacks successfully, a successful attack on one of the heads. 
And it looks like the beast is going to die. Not just that one head. I mean, people are like, oh, that's the Antichrist. See, he, he's going he's gonna to be assassinated, and then he's going to get resurrected. Number one, I, I would say to that, resurrection belongs to the Son of God alone. Satan does not have the ability to do resurrection. That, is, that belongs to God. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, that is not a shared authority that he's like, yeah, Satan, you want to piggyback along on this? Yeah, I'll let you go ahead and resurrect the, the Antichrist. That's cool. The scripture doesn't say he resurrects the Antichrist. Resurrection belongs to God and the Son of God alone, number one. Number two, all it says is that the beast is mortally wounded and looks like he's going to die and he's healed. That is very different than resurrection. The scripture says he receives a mortal wound, looks like he's going to die, a deadly wound, like if he doesn't, if the beast doesn't get some sort of intervention, the beast is going to die. But then the beast is healed, right? So interesting. It doesn't say the beast died and then the beast was resurrected. That is a very different thing. If I was riding my bike, got hit by a car, the doctors all said, Oh man, like you're not going to make it, you know, unfortunately your brain's swelling. Just go ahead and say goodbye to your family because you're not going to make it. You received a mortal wound. Then the next day, God intervenes and heals me. And the doctors are like, oh my goodness, we thought you were dead for sure, but you, you were, you were healed, miraculously healed. You know, if that happened, and then I came out, you know, the next week, and I was talking to the newspaper and, the, and told everybody, I was resurrected from the dead. The doctors might say, hey, wait, no, no, no. You weren't resurrected from the dead. What are you talking about? You didn't die. You look like you were going to die, but you were healed. Very different. And I, I think it's important to stress that point because... We can't have a low view of resurrection. We shouldn't have a low view of what God did in Christ in his resurrection. We can't just think like, oh yeah, that's pretty cool that God resurrected Jesus. But also, you know, Satan does resurrect the Antichrist. So it's, it's not that cool because, you know, the devil can do it too. That is a low view of resurrection. So that's why I stress it. Like if you're, if you're pushing that, you might just go like, uh, hit pause on that. Really look at the, what the scripture is actually saying. And then really get a hold of the beauty and power and how God, you know, uh, uh, authenticates the authority of Jesus Christ in his resurrection. That is a very powerful reality. And it's not something that Satan gets to do. It's not. So just, just throwing that out there. So anyway... So the dragon is coming into our world to do what? To make war. Like that's what he left the stage doing in Revelation. He's mad. I'm going to go make war. 
Revelation 13, he enters the stage through the sea. He's now a seven-headed beast operating in the earth. What's he doing? He's making war. How successful is he? Well, not super successful because apparently he gets stabbed. I don't know. He gets a shiv and it looks like it's lights out for the beast. Like, man, wow, that's kind of anticlimactic. Satan, isn't it? Kind of like you came in here to, to, to make war and you get stabbed and are going to die. And it looks like you're dead. That's pretty pathetic. Like, I mean, could there be anything more embarrassing? Because you know Satan's like, I'm gonna go in there, I'm gonna stomp them humans. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do all the things I'm gonna do. Like, like you're coming against mortals, like we're limited in so many ways. You're like the dragon behind the scenes, you know, waging war, like, oh, I should have won in heaven and one didn't go right. And here I am coming into now. I'm gonna really make them pay in the earth. And then you get stabbed, and it looks like you're gonna die. That's like another, like probably, you have to say that's the cherry on top of like the devil's failure. No, sorry. The real cherry on top of Satan's failure has got to be the lake of fire being opened up and the beast and the false prophet being thrown in and then the dragon being chained up. You know, that's, that's the true, that's the cherry on top of the cherry. But this is a significant cherry, is it not? To be like, yeah, I'm entering into the realm of mortals to bring them under my reign. I got stabbed. I'm not going to make it. You know, you could just hear him freaking out. And then just like, my question is, is does, does God actually have to intervene to, to spare the, the beast's existence in the earth? Like, is, does, like does, is the dragon like crying out to God like, God, I'm not going to make it. This whole story isn't going to work. <laughs> and God's like, <sighs> you can't even do this. You can't even do this right. That's, I don't know. To me, that's embarrassing. To me, that's pretty embarrassing. But however it happens, I'm not sure. It's not real clear, but the beast is healed. And then it's like, okay, now, okay, but the, 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 the train's back on the tracks. Sorry about that. You know, nothing to see here, folks. Yeah, I got stabbed. I almost died, but hey, I'm, I'm back. I'm back, right? Like, okay, so like after that happens, now the beast is in like full, full war mode. So it says that the whole earth is following the beast, right? So this... The dragon coming to earth as the beast goes to war, gets stabbed, looks like he's going to die, is healed, and the, the nations are marveling at the beast and following after it. The nations are also confounded by this beast. They don't really know how to fight against it. Um, verse 4, it says... The whole earth worshiped the dragon. He had given this authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? So clearly, even though the beast does get stabbed by a sword or, or an attack of some sort, looks like the beast is going to die, is healed, 
the beast gets back on track and the nations throw up their hands saying there's there's no way to make war effectively against the beast and so they're following it now so that's an it, the the beast is onboarding the earth there's an onboarding happening in the nations what's the other thing what are the other things that the the beast is doing well not surprisingly, uh, the, the beast is very blasphemous. He's got lots of things to say. And while the nations are following it, it is speaking horrible things about God, horrible things about heaven, horrible things about the saints. And like, this is like, like this, like heaven is watching this, right? Like, like, like Jesus is like watching and listening going, you have no idea what is coming to you in a very short period of time. But the dragon, or sorry, the beast, it's running its mouth against God, against heaven, against God's throne, against God's people. Just the nastiest trash talking thing, just blasphemies. So it's blaspheming heaven. It's actually in Verse 7 says, allowed to make war on the saints and overcome them. So this beast is warring against God's saints and overcoming them. Now, that this does not mean overcoming in the ultimate sense. Because in, in, in chapter 12, it tells us the saints overcome him by the blood of the Lamb by the word of their testimony, and that they do not love their lives even unto death. So even though the, the beast is potentially slaying the saints and is allowed to do that. Now, listen, I, you know, like we, we, we hear that. We're like, oh, my gosh, what is this is the plan? Like the plan is to, you know, unleash the devil in the earth and let him, let him like slay the saints. I, I don't get this. The plan is to glorify God. The plan is to preach the gospel onto all nations. The plan is to pour out the Holy Spirit in greater measures of power than they saw even in the first century, even in the early church incredible power, incredible victory, laying down our lives for Jesus, for the glory of the Father, onto eternity. That's the plan. The plan isn't, what? We just get killed? Like, <laughs> that's not the plan. All right. Now, does it say that the beast is allowed to make war against the saints and overcome them and slay them? It does say that, and we do need to come to terms with that. We absolutely do. But we also need to come to terms with the larger plan of God, to glorify his name, to preach Jesus in the face of insurmountable odds, to receive the power from heaven, Holy Ghost fire, that, makes us, that allows us and empowers us to stare down death, that we overcome by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony, declaring the gospel of Jesus, and that we do not love our lives even on the death. That is the bigger picture. That is the plan. However, yes, there will be a final persecution. Jesus is very clear about that. 
there will be a time when many will turn on each other, betray each other, when you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Like Jesus is very clear about a final persecution coming. Now we look at that and go, oh no, what? I was going to be on earth like forever and I don't want to die, right? Like, I, 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 I understand that sentiment, but you have to understand also this, that those who leave this earth in these, these types of circumstances, they are the blessed ones. Saints, you do not want to stick around for what happens after the saints, that great persecution. You don't want to be around. It's going to get really ugly, really quick. The time is coming when those who kill you are going to think they're killing you for their God, right? But they're killing you, and it's actually God's exit plan. I know it sounds crazy, but the early exits are going to be, that's the way that I keep thinking in my mind, like, like the, the escalating trouble that's coming on the earth I know there's a lot of people who want to like, you know, dig a hole in the ground and, you know, put a shipping container in there and try to try to try to survive this thing out. That is not my mentality. My mentality is to do the will of God, to preach the gospel. And then if somebody martyrs me for it, the you know, like it, you know, God, I need the grace of God to endure to the end and I need the spirit of God big time to endure all this stuff like I, there's nothing in me that thinks like I've got the strength or the wherewithal. This is God's plan. This is his thing. Like I'm completely hooked into him. But I have, there's, I, there's no illusions in my mind that the longer I stick around on earth, when these things start going down, the better. It's not going to get better until Jesus splits the sky. <sighs> fun stuff today. Really fun stuff. <laughs> Sorry, saints, you still love me, right? You still love me for preaching the word and declaring gospel truth, right? You're not going to hate me for this, right? I hope not. So the story of the beast, his earthly campaign, waging war, he's brought his war against the saints. It does say he overcomes them. And it also says authority. He is given authority. The beast is given global authority over the earth. The seven-headed dragon coming to earth as the seven-headed beast enters into a war is mortally wounded in war, is healed. The nations marvel and follow. The nations are onboarded. The fallen are onboarded. The beast goes to war against the saints. It's given, given as allowed to, what does it say? allowed to conquer them, conquer in the physical sense of helping them with an early exit plan, with God's early exit plan. How about that? De the devil executes God's early exit plan for martyrdom where we are glorified forever and ever. How about that's <laughs> that uh, gospel truth infused into that, you know, very troubling verse, no question about it. But the onboarding of the fallen, Global authority 
worldwide. The beast being worshipped by the nations. So that, in essence, and I will get there's 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 some more stuff that I want to get into when we when we delve into the false prophet. There's there's more to the beast story, but this we can push pause on the beast story for now, and I want to kind of circle the wagons on this and just collect my thoughts because there's so much going on here. But if we just stick to the story, and let's just, just for the sake of summary, let's go back. Revelation 12, the dragons in heaven wants to devour the male child coming from Israel, right? The male child is, uh, escapes, ascends to the throne. The dragon is expelled from heaven. The dragon is working behind the scenes to destroy the woman, pursues the woman. The woman escapes into the wilderness for a long period of time. The dragon comes again to wipe the woman away, to wipe her off the face of the earth. The earth comes to the aid of the woman. The dragon stomps off in fury to go make war against the saints. John turns his eyes from heaven, looks to the earth, part two of the story, the dragon's physical earthly campaign arises from the sea. The seven-headed dragon has now come as the seven-headed beast. He is continuing its war against the saints. Arises from the, is making war, is mortally wounded by a sword, is healed, is onboarding the nations to follow and marvel at it, to worship the beast, to worship the dragon that's behind the beast, making war against the saints, allowed to conquer them, and given a global authority over the entire world. That's not the entire, like, like this story does not end well for the dragon. But the dragon, I don't know if you've noticed or not here. Um, he, he's suffering a series of kind of embarrassing losses, right? Like he was unable to devour the male child. The male child in, in chapter 12 escapes. He is unable to devour the woman on two separate events. The dragon comes to earth as the beast and is stabbed mortally wounded by a sword. Like things are not going well for the dragon. He's kind of a failure. So these are the, these are, these are the things that I would say, the takeaway from Revelation 12, part one of the dragon, the story, the story of the dragon in Revelation 13. Part two, the story of the dragon come to earth. These are the takeaways. Number one, the dragon, the devil, a.k.a. Satan, is going to cross the dimensional barrier and be physically interacting with our earth where we live. He's coming this is what I call the advent of the dragon, the appearing of Satan in the earth. 
And number two, this is the takeaway. Number one, he's coming to operate physically in our world. And number two, he's coming as a God of war, not as a man of peace. If we just look at the story, like I, like, I know I'd probably just triggered lots of folks, triggered all their symbols and, and all the stuff that, that they've attached to this story. From the story that I have told so far, there is no indication whatsoever that the beast that is coming is coming to make peace. The dragon was a god of war in heaven, warring against God, warring against God's son, warring against heaven itself, warring against the woman. And when all of those things failed, he stomps off to go make war against the saints. And what does he do as soon as he comes out of the sea? He's making war. He's getting stabbed by a sword, making war against the saints. The dragon is God of war. He warred in heaven. He's bringing his heavenly war into the earth. This is not a man of peace. In fact, I would argue at this point, it's difficult to think that this is a man at all. I realize you got to go with the amalgamation theory at this point and say, well, you know, uh, it's, it's an amalgamation. That's why it doesn't make sense that it's a man. It's because it's an amalgamation. I, under, I get it. But at this point, if we just stick with just the story, seven-headed dragon come to earth as seven-headed beast, it's difficult to argue that this is a man at all. You see, this God of war that is marked by failure, it's actually reminiscent. Reminiscent of a Greek god, the Greek god Ares, who was famous for his bloodlust. Ares, his name means ruin, the bane comes from a curse. He was the most hated of the Greek gods, famous for an insatiable lust for battle. The Greeks couldn't even stand him. Like, widely, he wasn't worshipped by the Greeks at all because they disdained him. It is this Ares is actually marked by cowardice and failure. It is this Ares who would enter into battle with his sons, Phobos and Demos. Panic and terror would enter into battle with his companion, his sister, Eris, whose name meant discord. He was despised. He was hated. 
Zeus hated him. He was constantly being bettered by his sister, Athena, who was seen as a goddess of strategy and wisdom as applied to warfare. There's a story of Ares that is actually quite similar to this part two of the story of the dragon. Ares entered into the Trojan War. He entered on the wrong side of the battle, fighting for the wrong team, employing all of his insatiable bloodlust and superiority in battle, right? This is the god of war entering into a war of mortals. He enters the battlefield and he's wiping people out. He didn't even really care what side he was on. He just wanted to destroy. That was his thing. He's like, I don't know. I don't really care who wins. My thing is destruction, much like Apollyon, despised among the gods. But in that battle, in that mortal battle, the god of war enters the fray of battle. And Diomedes, a mortal man with a bronze spear, plunges his spear into Ares, into his belly. Ares bellows out, it says, with a scream of 9,000 soldiers. Ares receives a mortal wound. Ares is limping off the battlefield. He's going to die. Ares receives a mortal wound. He has to retreat back to Mount Olympus, the home of the gods, and beg Zeus to heal him of his mortal wound. And here is the quote from the Iliad. Looking at him darkly, Zeus, who gathers the clouds, spoke to Ares. Do not sit beside me and whine, you double-faced liar. To me, you are the most hateful of all the gods. Forever quarreling is dear to your heart. Wars and battles. That's what Zeus says to Ares. And Zeus goes on and heals Ares of his mortal wound. Ares is a failure. He's despised. Actually, at heart, he's a coward. I mean, think about it. Like, who? It's like, it's like, you know, (laughs) you know, not being very good at basketball. And, and going like, okay, uh, I'm going to take my game to the elementary school today. I'm going to school up on some elementary kids. And like, okay, playing like third and fourth grade, graders, you know, and just and coming out of there be like, yeah, I just put up a triple-double, yo. I dominated that squad. Like, like you're, you're a god among men, and here you are 
trifling about in a moral war and you get wounded to the point where you're going to die and you need Zeus's intervention so that you don't cease to exist. That's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. It's just interesting, the symbolic similarities here. The story of the dragon, the story of Ares. Because, of course, Ares gets a makeover when Rome takes over the world. When Rome takes over the world, Ares is no longer despised. He's no longer hated. No, he's promoted. He's promoted to second in charge. He's second to Jupiter. In fact, Mars is the father and founder of Rome. That's quite a promotion for Ares to be like the despicable coward guy who's constantly failing to being promoted to the protector and founder of the Roman Empire. Congratulations. But at the end of the day, we're dealing with a failure. The dragon is a failure. He has been expelled out of heaven. He's no longer able to go there. And now he's experiencing a short period on earth to wreak as much havoc as he can to onboard the nations to worship him. That's what's happening. The dragon has come to earth to bring his war to onboard the nations. And in the next episode, we're going to get into his little helper, his little helper known as the false prophet, not a sidekick, not a magician, the Antichrist. See, we have two players here. We have the dragon, who is Satan, who comes as the beast. And we have the corporate head of fallen humanity, the lawless one, the man of sin, the Antichrist. If you're wondering, I'm going to save my thunder for the next episode. All right, guys, I gave you a lot to chew on here. Man, this one went really long. Um, I really hope you're blessed by what you're hearing. I'm asking you, please, you know, if you can subscribe, push the subscribe button, leave me a review. Yeah, tell me how horrible I am. Tell me how wonderful, whatever, whatever you got. I just, I just, I need to start hearing more from you saints out there. And there's, there's, there's a handful of folks out there. You know who you are. I really appreciate the feedback. Thank you. But uh, hey, keep tuning in. Um, We're not done with Revelation 13. Hopefully we can get another episode out here in the next few days. That's my plan anyway. So God bless you. And remember to watch, to pray, and to proclaim. We'll see you next time. That concludes this episode of Babylon Singularity. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, BabylonSingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon, available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show 
better. I do hope it's a blessing to you. And I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.